This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com forward slash free books to download this book as a PDF. Through New Eyes Developing a Biblical View of the World James B. Jordan Copyright 1988 Published by Wolgamoth and Hyatt Brentwood, Tennessee All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Each little flower that opens, each little bird that sings, He made their glowing colors, He made their tiny wings. He gave us eyes to see them all, and lips that we might tell. How great is God Almighty, who has made all things well. Cecil Francis Alexander 8. Birds and Beasts When God created the world, He set up the animals as man's particular zone of dominion. God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Genesis 1, verse 26. Again, God said to humanity, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 1, verse 28. We notice what God did not say. He did not say, rule over the soil, the moon, and planets, the grass, trees, and herbs. These seem to be taken for granted. If man rules over the highest aspect of creation, the things made at the end of the week, it stands to reason that he will rule over the lower aspects in some sense. Part of man's peculiar domination of the animal lies in the fact that only animals can be helpers to man. Pigs can help man hunt for truffles, and oxen pull man's plows. Dogs can guard man's home, and cats can cleanse his house of vermin. This particularly close association of men and animals is seen in Genesis 2, where God uses the animals to teach Adam of his need for helpers. God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2 verse 18 God chose to bring the animals and birds before Adam for him to name or describe. These animals were indeed helpers, and Adam could see that, but they were not helpers fitted to him. Under the instigation of Satan, part of the animal kingdom rose up against human dominion. The serpent's seduction of Eve and Adam in Genesis 3 is a story that tells of this. After the fall of man, all animals had the potential of becoming man's enemy. Even the peaceful oxen, if it rises up and gores man, is counted an unclean animal. Exodus 21, verse 28 through 29. Thus it would be necessary for the seed of the woman to exert dominion over the rebellious animals by crushing their head, their leader. Genesis 3, verse 15. A marvelous picture of this is given in Daniel 7, where the son of man, the seed of the woman, takes dominion over the four beasts of the sea. The sea represents the Gentiles, and the four beasts represent the idolatrous nations of the world. The lion, eagle, is Babylon. The bear is Persia. The leopard is Alexander's Greece. And the nightmare beast is Rome. The Son of Man, however, takes dominion over them all, subduing Satan's beasts permanently. Just so, Mark tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast. Mark 1, verse 13. With these remarks, we have arrived at a discussion of the symbolism of animals, And so to that subject we must now turn.
Animals as Symbols The Bible presumes as an analogy between men and animals from the beginning. Animals image human life more closely than they do any of the other aspects of the creation. This is especially true of land animals, which were made on the same day as man. In Genesis 2, we find that God brought animals to Adam to name, or describe. Adam gave names to them, and in the process, noticed that all the animals came in sexual pairs. He might have reasoned from this that he was simply different from the animals in this regard. Instead, however, he rightly observed that if animals had mates, he should also. Genesis 2, verse 18-20 This reasoning could only take place on the basis of a perceived analogy. Let us now briefly overview the ways in which the Bible sets forth animals as imaging human life. Elijah Scotiet has provided a fine introduction to our present considerations, and his remarks are worth reprinting in full. Scripture depicts God with strikingly concrete imagery. He is described in varying contexts as a father, husband, judge, king, warrior, winnower, husbandman, smelter, builder, teacher, healer, harvester, giver of rain, leader of the blind, wayfarer, and stranger, as well as the shepherd of a flock. It is therefore not surprising to find God has portrayed with imagery drawn from the world of fauna. As an eagle that stirreth up her nest, hovereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her pinions. Deuteronomy 32 verse 11 I bore you on eagle's wings. Exodus 19 verse 4 He will cover thee with his pinions, and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. Psalm 91, verse 4 God is also depicted as a lion, as a leopard, and as a bear lying in wait for its prey. And the wrath of the Lord is compared to that of a she-bear bereaved of her cubs. In Balaam's orations, God is to Israel like the lofty horns of the wild ox. Now clearly God is not being compared to the animals themselves. It is rather the deeds of God that are described and compared to the deeds of the specific animals in particular circumstances. Similarly, Israel is portrayed as being an unfaithful wife, a wild vine, God's servant, God's beloved, a bride, a vineyard, as well as, from the world of fauna, sheep, a wild ass, well-fed stallions, fatted cows of Bashan, a turtle dove, an untrained calf, and a worm. By means of such concrete imagery, the concept of God and his covenant with Israel was related to the life experiences of the Israelites notably those embodied in the world of nature. God groups animals with men in certain special ways that indicate a closer analogy between men and animals than between men and any other aspect of the earthly creation. Both men and animals stand under the penalty of capital punishment for murder, Genesis 9 verse 5. More specifically, as regards to the cattle, both were to keep the Sabbath, Exodus 2 verse 10, Deuteronomy 5 verse 14. Both were under the blessing and curse of the covenant, Leviticus 26, verse 22, Deuteronomy 28, verse 4. And the firstborn of both belonged to God. Additionally, the entire logic of the sacrificial system depends upon analogy between men and animals. The Mosaic Revelation contains numerous laws concerning animals, such as that ox and ass are not to be yoked together, and that the ox is not to be muzzled while it treads. Commenting on such law, Paul writes, God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, 
For our sake it is written. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9 through 10. In other words, all the animal laws are really concerned with human life, not muzzling the laboring oxen. In context, means that the lever, brother-in-law, is entitled to benefit from the property of the child he rears for his deceased brother during the years of the child's minority. Paul applies this to pastors who care for the church while Christ is in heaven. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 10, 1 Timothy 5, verse 18. In fact, if we press Paul's language, these laws did not concern animals at all, but were altogether concerned with human beings. Does this mean that the Jews were never needed to keep these laws as they pertain to animals, but only as they pertain to people? Or does Paul's, for our sake, refer to the New Covenant believers and mean that while the Jews were to keep the letter, Christians only need to be concerned with the human dimensions? Or is Paul's altogether for our sake only a hyperbole of comparison? It's hard to know. One thing is clear. The primary focus of the animal laws in the Mosaic Revelation is the symbolic and human dimension. According to Paul, God is not particularly concerned with whether or not we yoke oxen with asses, but he is concerned whether or not Christians marry unbelievers. Not all animals symbolize the same things about God and man. The scriptures help us in seeing the precise ways in which certain animals image the life of man, both positively and negatively. This is particularly inevident in poetry and proverbs. Poetic allusions often emphasize the close similarities between humans and animals. When Jacob blesses his sons, he compares Judah to a lion's whelp, Issachar to a large-boned ass, Dan to a serpent in the path, Naphtali to a hind let loose, and Benjamin to a wolf that raveneth. Balaam's orations compare Israel to a people that riseth up as a lioness, and as a lion does he raise himself up. And David, in his moving eulogy, laments Saul and Jonathan as being swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. Shemai, son of Gera, who curses David, is deemed a dead dog, and Hazael modestly refers to himself as a dog, one clearly unworthy of greatness. There is little need to expand on this point. However, since the book of Proverbs is familiar to all readers, there is little need to expand on this point, however, since the book of Proverbs is familiar to all readers. It is well known that the Bible draws comparisons between human beings and animals, and in particular regards. There is one special way in which some animals represented human beings, and that was in the sacrificial system. Only five animals were eligible for sacrifice in Israel, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the dove, and the pigeon. There were other animals that were clean and might be eaten, such as deer, gazelle, and chicken, but only these five might be sacrificed, Genesis 15, verse 9, in contrast, Genesis 8, verse 20, Leviticus 4, verse 1 through 5, verse 10, Deuteronomy 14, verse 4 through 5. Animals found their way into the imagery of the temple, though not of the tabernacle. Twelve bronze bulls symbolizing Israel supported the bronze sea in the temple courtyard, 1 Kings 7, verse 25. And lions and oxen were engraved on the ten bronze water chariots. 1 Kings 7, verse 29. The choice of lions and oxen arises from the fact that they are the two animal faces of the cherubim. Ezekiel 1, verse 10, 41, verse 18 through 19. The Categories of the Animal World Genesis 1 provides us with six categories of animals. In terms of the wider world, there are 1. The winged fowl, 2. The great monsters of land and sea, and 3. The fish of the sea. 
In terms of the land, there are four, the wild animals, five, the creeping things, and six, the domestic animals, cattle. The great monsters are occasionally mentioned in the Bible, some of them by name, Leviathan, Rahab, Behemoth. From what the Bible says about them, these are evidently what we today call dinosaurs. Birds are associated with the heavens above. Thus, they are frequently symbols of spirits, clean or unclean. The dove can symbolize the spirit of God, who hovered over the creation in Genesis 1, and over our Lord at his baptism, Matthew 3, verse 16. The doves flying over the waters of the flood while it receded is an image of a new creation, Genesis 8, verse 8 through 12. Unclean birds can thus be associated with the demonic realm, Revelation 18, verse 2, Isaiah 34, verse 8 through 15. Fish are associated with the waters under the earth. In biblical imagery, the seas are generally the world of the Gentile. Israel is a people of the land, and throughout the Old Testament, the important people of God were farmers and herdsmen, not fishermen. Jonah traveled by sea to get to Gentile Nineveh, and Gentile Tyre is pictured as a vast ship of state sailing on the seas, Ezekiel 27, verse 25 through 36. In the New Covenant, however, all this is changed. The apostles were largely fishermen. Jesus fed the crowds with fish. Paul carried the gospel abroad over water. All this indicates a shift from land to sea, from Israel to the nations. Domestic animals are those that live with men, and thus are somewhat dependent on man for life. They are man's closest helpers and most closely image the life of man. Cats and dogs and sheep and cattle and horses are much more human than are armadillos, possums, and bears. Such domestic animals come to represent Israel, God's domestic people. Wild animals are those that live by themselves, without man's help. Such wild animals often represent Gentiles, especially converted and ennobled Gentiles, who may not live in Israel, but who are still admirable. Finally, the creeping things are those that live in the dirt. After the ground was cursed, these came to be associated with the serpent and with evil men. Genesis 3 verse 14, 15, and 17. Clean and Unclean Animals What was it that made some animals clean and others unclean during the Old Covenant? Some have suggested that it was the food value of their meat, but this could not be so. This distinction between clean and unclean was known before the flood, when men apparently did not yet eat meat. After the flood, God gave Noah permission to eat the flesh of all animals, without restriction as to kind. Genesis 9, verse 3-4 it was only with the Mosaic Covenant that the unclean animals were declared inedible. The distinction between clean and unclean animals, then, must be symbolic. Here again, we must be careful. It was not the overall lifestyle of these animals that made them clean or unclean. The Bible has many fine things to say about the eagle, as would be expected. The eagle's regal appearance and superior power are frequently emphasized. The Bible describes the impressive sweep of its wings in flight, its awesome speed, and its characteristic manner of swooping down to attack its victims. Indeed, one of the faces of the cherubim is that of an eagle, yet the eagle is an unclean animal. The same is true of the lion. Indeed, Christ is a lion of the tribe of Judah, yet the lion is unclean. The eagle and lion are every bit as unclean as dogs and pigs, concerning both of which scripture has nothing good to say. And, unclean though the serpent is, it is used on one occasion to describe the tribe of Dan in a flattering metaphor. The clean goat is every bit as disgusting in its habits as the unclean pig. 
What this means is that we have to be extremely precise in determining exactly what made clean animals clean and unclean animals unclean. It is not their general habits. It is not information from poetry, prophecy, or proverbs. It is, rather, the precise details given in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. The lion was unclean, resembling the Satan-possessed nations in only one respect. He does not have split hooves and does not chew the cud. Apart from this consideration, he is a fine and noble beast. In fact, the primary feature of a clean animal is their feet, in one sense or another. To understand this, we must bear in mind that the ground was cursed under the Old Covenant, Genesis 3, verse 17. Men normally wore shoes, and it was ceremonially important to wash the cursed soil off one's feet before entering a house. Holy ground, where the curse was removed, required men to go barefoot. Exodus 3 verse 5, Joshua 5 verse 15. Bear in mind that animals are symbols of men. We find that clean land animals wear shoes, while unclean land animals do not. Clean land animals also chew the cud, traditionally regarded as an image of meditating on God's word. To be clean, an animal must both chew cud and wear proper shoes, hooves that are split, perhaps so that the animal can distinguish between the things with which he comes in contact and so that he can travel on high places, the holy mountain. Leviticus 11, verse 2 through 8, 27, Psalm 18, verse 33. Fish must also be shod. In their case, it means having scales. Scales are like armor that keeps the fish from contact with its environment. 1 Samuel 17, verse 5. The clean fish must also have fins, enabling him to make purposeful movement through the water. The man of God, symbolized by the clean fish, does not drift with the tide. Leviticus 11, verse 9 through 12. Clean birds are those that are careful and particular about where they land, where they put their feet. Genesis 8, verse 9. Unclean birds will land on anything, especially on rotting carcasses. Leviticus 11, verse 13 through 23. Finally, animals that swarm around in the dust and that invade homes are unclean. They attack the women's domestic environment, spreading death to her kitchen utensils. The woman is at enmity with them. Genesis 3, verse 15, Leviticus 11, verse 29 through 38. All unclean animals resemble the serpent in the garden. They are boundary transgressors who break into the domestic garden and bring death. They crawl in the dust. They eat dust. In these ways they image the life of the serpent, but in only these ways. The unclean lion as we have seen, is also a noble and mighty beast. In the New Covenant, of course, this distinction is removed. Mark 7, verse 19, Acts 10 through 11. Christ has cleansed the world once and for all. We can go barefoot in the dirt and wear shoes to church. We can eat the flesh of any animal we desire. We don't need to break kitchen utensils when we find a dead lizard or mouse lying on them. Leviticus 11, verse 32 through 35. Conclusion as we look at the world through new eyes, we must be careful not to bring the clean-unclean distinction into play, since we now live in the New Covenant. All the same, the meaning of that distinction is still relevant. We need to be careful to walk in the ways of righteousness and meditate on God's Word. We need to avoid the environment of the serpent. In other regards, however, the Bible enjoins us to observe the animal world carefully, for God created it as a living parable of human life. By studying the ways of the animals, we come to understand more and more of what it means to be true human beings.
images of God in his world. Let us, the cherubim, mystically representing, and unto the life-giving trinity, the thrice-holy chant intoning, all cares terrestrial now lay aside, that we may raise on high the King of all, like conqueror on shield and spears, by the angelic host invisibly upborne. Alleluia. The Cherubimic Hymn The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.